Testing one, two, testing one, two. This is usually not what I say. I don't even know if this is going to be of good quality. <clears throat> There's no point in me making a long introduction today. This is a good episode. Good, good, good episode. You all know my sister friend, Sai. Yeah, she's back. And I told y'all, what, in 2019 that she was going to come and do an episode about TVXQ? Well, baby, baby, this is it. So go ahead, get yourself some snacks. The dog is outside barking. I swear sister show get treated like just trash. <laughs> I make efforts. I do. I really do. I, I make genuine efforts to try to give you all something entertaining. And most certainly you will have it today. So let me stop rambling and let me go outside and see what the dog with the little bandana is doing. Let's go. It's time for an album a day sister show. We have a special guest. <sighs> Y'all, I have taken on the burdensome task of talking about an ancient K-pop line, was at the forefront of the second generation, in fact, started the second generation of K-pop and Hallyu as we know it. In fact, Hallyu was not even a word when they debuted. I'm talking about Dongbang Shinki, the rising gods of the east, uh, Toho Shinki for Japanese fans, Tongfan Shinchi for the Chinese fans. I bleed pearl red and I am not ashamed to say so, even though for a time as recent as 2000, I want to say maybe 16, it was kind of taboo to admit that you were part of Cassiopeia, which is our uh, fan group or fandom name and I say that because of all of the sloppy messed up just dumpster fire that is k-pop and there's a whole trash compacting company of fuckery in k-pop <laughs> for lack of a less crass word because it's all crass um they are not the forefathers of the mess but their company is and they certainly inherited it and their story has almost become mythic and not in the best way um so this is the hard part the hard part about talking about Dongbang Shinki is not knowing what to talk about or where to start because there's just so much you can take it from a historical aspect because they are an historic group regardless of your opinion of k-pop regardless of who you think are actual legends in the industry and not regardless or in spite of but you know uh, uh, understanding that while bts has made a historic push for not exactly k-pop but for their music and being a Korean group that has gotten lots of recognition. If you want to talk about history and you want to talk about changing the face of how Korean music and specifically Korean contemporary pop music was digested and where, you have two artists to thank for that, Boa and Dongbang Shinki both of whom came from the same company. They worked together extensively. In fact, Yunho, the leader of Dongbang Shinki, got his start at SM 
being a backup dancer for Boa. So there's that aspect, you can take it from the mess, because even that is historic in the scope and the absolute pettiness of SM. In fact, the only group as a whole to have an entire first um, five years of five to seven years of their career erased from history was Dongbang Shinki. The first seven years of their career was erased in order to excise three members who left. SM has never been that petty before or since. And they've dealt with members leaving. They've dealt with controversy. And some controversy that may, that for what it was, is a lot worse than actually what happened to Dongbang Shinki. A lot of it involved Dongbang Shinki in terms of controversy and in terms of the mess, but there's been a lot more that's been a lot more toxic that would cause them to want to cause a complete erasure of somebody's musical history. But the only time that it actually made them completely disconnect the history of their biggest selling group up until probably 2011 or 12. No other group has gotten that treatment and no other group that has removed themselves from SM has gotten the treatment that the subsequent group did. So we can talk about the mess and then you have to talk about which group. Dongbang Shinki is actually three groups. It was first a five member Korean group and then after I want to say two years but I could be mistaken in that so if there are some more dyed-in-the-wool Cassiopeia than me. Please correct me. I won't take any offense. But I, after two years after their debut, they became a J-pop group, which was completely unique prior to them in terms of all Korean music. There have been there was Korean music that had been exported to different countries, um, more specifically China and Japan. However, there has not been a group, I believe, before or since Dongbang Shinki that was actually promoted as a Japanese pop group. You have all of these groups, which also is a product of Boa and Dongbang Shinki, who have moved over to the Japanese markets. They make Japanese versions of their songs, and sometimes they'll have uh, original Japanese content, but they will never be promoted as a J-pop group. Dongbang Shinki was, and in fact had, and still do, because they still promote as the duo, a separate group name and a separate group fandom in Japan. Because in Japan, they weren't a K-pop group. They weren't a Korean pop group. They were a Japanese pop group. They promoted completely in ja Japanese, all of their work was in Japanese. In fact, their albums were not just Japanese versions of the Korean albums. They had completely original music going over to Japan and one or two of the tracks off of those albums would be Japanese versions of their Korean cuts. Um, their J Japanese name, as I mentioned, was Toho Shinki. Their fandom is Big East. And in fact, between Big East and Cassiopeia, they still have the biggest fandom in the world. And at the time, that was 800 million fans worldwide. Almost a billion fans worldwide. Made the Guinness Book of World Records. I'm not sure if that record has been broken. It might well have, especially given that in the time that that was, you know, a claim, uh, you know, something that they were known for, 
there was no digital releases, or at least not to the scope there, that there is now. It was physical copies and physically writing in to join a fan club. Anybody can be an army, anybody can be a blink, anybody can be it, part of these fandoms and call themselves part of these fandoms. But you had to actually register with these fan clubs, Big East and Cassiopeia, to be considered part of the fandom. So you have DBSK as Dongbang Shinki, you have them as Toho Shinki, which is a Japanese group. And you have them as TVXQ, which even when they debuted was still their name, but people who know TVXQ, particularly if they've been around long enough, know TVXQ is just two members. So there you go. We could talk about that. We could talk about the subsequent group that left, which is filled with all kinds of mess and drama and history. Even the group that left SM is historic for what they forced to happen with the musical rights and the musical contracts in Korean companies at large. Originally, Korean companies would sign kids between the ages of 9 and 13 for a 13-year non-breakable, non-negotiable contract. And in that contract, they were uh, signed not just as artists, but they would be signed for their schooling. Their schooling was included in the contract. Um, their living situations, um, obviously their core, their dance lessons and vocal lessons, um, they would be taught acting and, and, you know, as, as much as that goes, they would have an allowance. They would have a living stipend. Essentially, they would have a salary. And part of that contract also was that if they didn't sell at least 500,000 units, they wouldn't see any of the money from the profits of their albums. Again, this is something that I haven't talked about in a very long time and haven't immersed myself in for a very long time. So if I'm mistaken, I do not take offense to being corrected at all. So if you have more information about that, certainly in the legal sense, please comment or, or what have you. But the fact remains that the JYJ, which is the subsequent group that came out of DBSK stands for the members' names Jejun, Yuchun, and Junsu. They fought, they left the group in 2009. Their dispute was finally resolved, I want to say three years later. And in that, contracts were changed from 13 years to 8 years with negotiations for re-signing in there. I don't know the specifics. I'm pretty sure that they're still included in that is still their education, um, a living stipend their dance and vocal lessons, their act acting lessons, but I don't think, I think that the, them getting profits from their music might have changed a bit. So we can talk about that part. We can talk about the music itself. They were the first group, specifically in SM, and I'm not sure if in all of K-pop, obviously not in all of K-pop, because the first group that actually even did contemporary pop music from Korea was Soteji and Boys. The Soteji, obviously wrote all of their music <laughs> so that's you know it, it's a stretch to say that they're the first to do this but they're the first to have heavily credited members in the group who wrote who both composed and wrote lyrics for albums the one who wrote the most was Jejun close followed close by Chun who people don't talk about but I'm gonna talk about him because I'm not ashamed at least to say that uh, I was a fan of his but those two members were the one of was 
were sort of like the creative core of that group when they started to do more mature music outside of their debut. And Jaejun wrote a lot of their Japanese stuff. Um, not, and we're not talking about huge percentages of albums. Like they wouldn't write half of an album. But they started the trend of the idols actually composing and writing for the group, which is not something that was allowed. They, in fact, even as recent as 2018, I believe, when a representative from Chris, and I don't remember his entire name, but a representative from SM came and talked about, you know, what they're doing to expand globally, which, you know, we can talk about SM, but I don't want to go there. I have a very serious love-hate relationship with them, and most of it stems from the treatment of not just Dongbang Shinki, even though that's where it came from, but all of their idols, which is some very unsavory stuff. Um, even if we're not talking about what could be the most unsavory thing, just the maltreatment of their idols in the past was very severe. But they made it clear, even as late as 2018, that they do not encourage their artists to work on the production, the composing, and the writing of their music. They have them focus on performance and singing and dancing. That's something that they still hold true for now. You only saw the emergence of the singer-songwriter in a pop idol situation after Dongbang Shinki. I think the most notable for people in terms of SM is Jung Hyun, um, our dearly departed bling bling. So we can talk about that. This is the dilemma. That is my introduction. There's so many facets of the Dongbang Shinki story and so much of it has altered whether you want to believe it or not has genuinely altered the way that not only the record companies function, but how the entire pop industry in Korea functions. They may not have gotten the notoriety in Western markets, which has become the benchmarker of a group's success at this point, but without BOA, without Dongbang Shinki, and without a couple years later, Big Bang, you wouldn't have these groups making any sort of strides outside of Korea. So Taiji and Boys, because of the ambition of So Taiji, pushed and they made people look at how music was made in Korea and say, this is something we can capitalize on. This is something different. This is music for youth, which is not something that really was a thing. There was music for the entire society, but not specific to youth, and more specifically to preteen to teen until Sotaiji. This is not about Sotaiji. <laughs> this is about the sort of iconography of a group that, as big as they are, and they still remain very influential just in terms of their status at this point they are legendary they're a group that have been around for 15 years it's coming up on 16. um if you want to get technical with it their debut stage was in 2003. um it was a britney spears christmas special that boa was signed up to do and dongbang shinki was added to that where one of the first groups if not the first group to sing live and then to sing live acapella to sing live while dancing 
I don't watch the award shows. I don't watch any award shows, to be honest. I stopped watching. The last award show I watched, I think, was like the 1998 MTV Music, Music Awards. So I don't watch award shows. But for a time there, it became sort of a rite of passage for newer K-pop groups, no matter what company they came from, to pay homage to Dongbang Shinki because they are the idol's idol, quite frankly. They are the ones that set the bar exceptionally high for Korean pop music, for K-pop becoming something that is expanding outside of just the pop genre, which it originally was. When K-pop was defined, actually defined, it was literally just pop music in Korean. But as we know, pop doesn't necessarily mean bubblegum. It's very much heavily what most people think of because of the market, which is so vast when it comes to um, the young population. So whatever, whatever moves within a youth demographic is what defines the culture. They changed so much of what popular music was in Korea and what it could be outside of Korea. The transitions from their sounds from just their debut to you know, their, their third and fourth album. You have to understand they were doing double duty as a K-pop and a J-pop group. They had no choice but to evolve musically in a very short amount of time. So they even changed what it meant to make pop music, what pop music would sound like from the country. Let's be real, we all know where their pop music comes from. We all know where their contemporary genres come from. It comes from black music from the States, this is obvious. Um, their pop music was based very heavily on early R&B that was on the radio in the States and a little bit of hip hop if they wanted to get a little spicy. Obviously, the first group that actually did it any justice was the first group who defined contemporary pop, contemporary pop music in Korea, which is So Taiji. And I keep going back to So Taiji because I don't want you guys to forget that unless you are talking about someone who listened to music from the 80s, your favorites did not create this genre. They didn't even evolve it to where it is now because it's still the same as it was when So Taiji came up and his influences were heavily based in the hip-hop rock genre. His inspiration was Cypress Hill, and he created pop music based on that, and music that was heavily influenced by the hip-hop from the late 80s. So, you know, it's a tough topic because of the amount of history just in that group and the amount of tragedy in that group. Obviously not as heavy as effects or shiny but there's a lot that they had to go through that people don't understand or refuse to acknowledge and it goes far beyond what happened in 2009. 2009 was a breaking point for three of those members but it wasn't the beginning of what could have been some very difficult times for them. It was nowhere near the beginning. They were they started out with a lot of craziness from you know the first two years of being a group Jejung, their oldest member but not their leader which is another trend that they started the oldest not being the leader kim Jejung was just thought of the pretty boy when you hear um visual shock they made that phrase up because when Jejung came to audition they'd never seen anybody that looked like him before even in his fetus stage <laughs> and they got a shock because of just of the because of just how he looked 
not even he didn't even have to open his mouth as soon as he walked in they were all flabbergasted by the way this child looked because it's just it was never seen before visual shock was because of who he was but for the first two years of them as a group he wasn't allowed to speak he was not allowed to say a word no interview questions um he wasn't allowed to speak at the fan meetings which was something that was just getting cultivated he wasn't allowed to say anything for two years until you know he may have said something at some point and people were like oh this dude's funny and then they allowed him to speak he was just supposed to sit there and be pretty their actual leader who is the second oldest yunho was poisoned by a fan um that's why security is is as heavy as it is with these idol groups because a fan gave him a bottle of water filled with super glue um <laughs> so in fan meets they're not allowed to actually give them anything they have to go through their security and the security has to sift through everything that was because of what happened to him they have been stalked beyond all kinds of belief and or safety they have been assaulted they have been sent they have been sent we'll just say disgusting things in the mail they have had people break into their dorms into their homes saying i'm your girlfriend so i live here now they have had women come into their houses as young boys and cook them food and sit there and wait for acknowledgement. Like this is, I don't know why I started on this tangent. I didn't want to sort of make this a sad sob story about my favorite, still my favorite group. And it's, it's more of a legacy thing. They were what introduced me into this world by accident actually, but they were who introduced me to you know, Korean music, and I obviously moved on to different things, but they were the ones, and everything that they created was so interesting to me. They did bring it back to the pop groups that I remembered, and they did it in a way was, that was a lot more polished and had more range. You know, simple pop that had scope especially when they started writing their music. Their dances were the most complex of the time, um, which is no small feat considering three of them are not dancers. <laughs> um, it's difficult to talk about this group because of how much pain the entire fandom went through when that split happened. It was as catastrophic as when H.O.T. broke up, another product of SM, but it was even worse considering how SM actually handled it and everything that happened after that for both JYJ and TVXQ. Gosh, the amount of history. I wasn't even, you know what? And the crazy thing is I was only gonna do the intro. You're gonna get all this, okay? You getting all of this realness. I was only supposed to do the intro for this because I had it in my mind. I'm actually doing work that pays me, like my, that pays my bills <laughs> as I'm doing this. But I got on a roll, I got on a tangent because bringing up, it just brings up a lot of memories. Um, the first time I even came across them, I was working for the state at the time, it was in 2012, which will let you know that I have not been in the game since 2009. So I found out about them after the breakup, but I am a very fast learner when it comes to music, and I learned everything about them in, I shit you not, two weeks. And 
the effect and influence and impact of what they had on me was profound enough for me to stay and expand my scope as far as Korean music goes. But anyhow, there's a lot of memories. And the first one being my friend knowing that I was in the humdrum of working for the state said, I have this artist I want you to see. He's gorgeous and he plays football like um, Maradona and he has an amazing voice and he plays piano. Oh yeah, and he has an ass like the American Dream. <laughs> Kim Junsu, Kim Xia Junsu. And uh, the video she showed me was a video called Intoxication. For anyone who knows this video, you can understand how I was sort of not prepared. And I was like, well, what, what? And he's like, well, she, he's part of this group called DBSK. So I looked DBSK up. He's like, oh, but don't look up anything, blah, 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 because they broke up, blah, blah, blah. And don't look up this song because it's terrible. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So I go on my own little research bender. And the first video I come across from Dongbang Shinki is the one that was removed from YouTube, but then got placed back up, Merotic, which is the song that most K-pop groups when they were coming up would use to pay homage to Dongbang Shinki. Merotic by 2009 had 80 million views on YouTube. When JYJ left, SM removed the video and they put it back up to reset the view counter. <laughs> so if you want to talk about a group going viral, they were it. But at the beginning of the hey, the, the, the heyday of YouTube and you know, viral videos, you had Fantastic Baby, and then you had Opa Gangnam Style, and everything sort of followed after that. But the first ones that were there got slighted because SM was really petty. You wanna talk about, like, listen, SM is, is the label for the vocalists that specialize in, in profound vocals. So we gonna call SM Petty LaBelle because ain't no, ain't no label as petty as SM. I don't even care. Not even just on some DBSK stuff. Like SM will take petty to next levels that you could only wish you could reach, <laughs> okay? They noped their most popular and profitable group out of existence for their first seven years. When the RTM was there and they took it down, which is unfortunate because it's actually a gorgeous complex with all of the history of SM. There is a timeline that goes around the wall in one of their rooms and the entire expansion of that wall is the history of the music that came from SM. You look in Dongbang Shinki's part, which is towards the beginning, because they were one of the first groups. You look at their section, 2003, they have TVXQ, a two-person group debuted in 2003. There's two parallel lines and a huge gap. And from 2003, you go to 2011. <laughs> petty, 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 and heartbreaking and unfair because members of their most popular group dared to challenge what they what the, the, the standard practice of the day, which continues to this day in a, in a certain extent, but not as extreme as it was before this incident happened. Just questioning the validity of a contract where not only do they not get a fair cut of their profits, they're not allowed to expand outside 
of what they know. It began with them wanting to not invest in, but be a part of outside of their main group, promoting um, a fashion brand or a makeup brand or something. You think Jessica from SNSD was the first to do that? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. That was DDSK. They were promptly told that you do what we say or you can leave. So they're like, all right, then we leaving. <laughs> and SM didn't think that they were serious enough. But when you take out 60% of a group that is making them the most money, and not only that, you take out the vocal core of that group because you had the high tenor, which is the lead singer, it's Junsu. You have the mid tenor, which is Jaejun. You have the lead singer and you have the main singer, which were two different things, which is so weird. You take away the lead and the main singer, and then you take away the baritone of that group. <laughs> As someone had in it, someone was not very happy. The amounts of uh, hatred that those three boys went through, depending on what you believe, um, some of it might be deserved. None of it's deserved because what they went through doesn't justify it, but it also paints a different picture than what anti-fans, it's just essentially what it is, anti-fans would have you believe. And nobody knows the story on anything. Nobody was in there. You can be a Sasang fan all you want to be, but best believe you're not getting the internal lowdown from a company like SM that has so many skeletons in its closet that they understand are the ones that hold the combination, the lock, and their closet is lined with reinforced steel. <laughs> There's no getting in or getting out. Not unless you have somebody on the inside who's ready to take the entire shit down, like they did with YG, which is a whole nother thing altogether, which we won't get into. <laughs> but gosh, I've talked about a lot and not focused on very much. I will say this, I will say this, Despite what anybody on either side of this argument, and we're mainly talking about infighting within Cassiopeia, which is not uncommon in fandoms. Again, something that your faves did not invent. This has been going on since the beginning of boy bands. <laughs> okay. Um, but despite the infighting, which I don't get into, despite what anyone will say about either group, Dongbang Shinki as five revolutionized something that I don't think they understood quite the scope of. You'll see them in interviews around 2008 talk about it and he's like, we had no idea that this was a big thing. We knew that we were pretty big in Japan, um, but they promoted in Japan as a Japanese group for a year and a half before their biggest selling album even came out. They had no idea. They had no idea what Hallyu was, but they kept hearing it everywhere. This is a group of young men, then young men, they're now my age. <laughs> This is a group of young men who redefined the scope of popular music in Korea. Obviously, they, it was not just them. They had an entire company behind them. But a lot of the things that they had to figure out, they had to figure out on their own. They, for a very long time, and I want to say for their first two albums, they were selling those albums by hand. They were promoting themselves on foot. Even at the height of their popularity when Marotic came out, they would be in nicer suits and they looked a lot better and they looked a lot more opulent, if you will, going into these businesses to ask them to promote their album, going into radio stations. They would do entire promotion cycles where they would go from sun up to sundown to radio stations to ask them to play their songs. 
was in a time when physical copies were what ruled the world. Streaming had just become commonplace, but not even the big streaming platforms. There was no Apple Music, there was no Spotify, there was no Pandora even, and Pandora has been around for quite a while. They had melons, <laughs> they had Neighbor, that's what they had. And they had to work with that, so it became one of the biggest groups worldwide, not just in Korea. They did it all being as humble as they possibly could. They did it all while enduring a lot of abuse and a lot of neglect sometimes and a lot of hatred from within and without. They did it because they loved to sing and they did it damn well. They did it because their heart was in performance. You can't tell me that Yoon-ho, <laughs> Jung Hyun-ho and Kim Jun-soo are not two of the hardest performers to ever do it. Just look at what they did when they were young. Kim Jun-soo used to, his voice didn't break. For the longest time, he was the longest rookie for a long time. Y'all think Mark was in there for a long time. Jun-soo started at SM when he was nine years old. He didn't debut until he was 16 because his voice wouldn't crack and they were almost gonna kick him out. But they kept saying, wait, 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 let's wait a little bit. It'll just be, it's just puberty. He's just trying to break out of it. Um, he would scream, he would throw up, he would cough intentionally to force his voice to crack. And so the huskiness that you hear in that, in that, uh, that high tenor, that husky high tenor, is because of the abuse he put himself through because he wanted it so bad. Sleepless nights, sleepless weeks, lack of food. For a long time, they're all sleeping in the same house. Five members in a two bedroom apartment, you know? men and you oh man five dudes <laughs> in a place made for two people <laughs> oh god i can't even imagine why any fan would want to break into their house and like the smell alone didn't propel them back like look okay um they did it all and they changed so much not just musically but structurally about korean music and again, these are things you can look up. These are things you can verify for yourself. If I'm wrong in anything, I don't take offense to it. I've been far removed from their music for a while, to be honest, because for a long time, it was difficult for me to see the two perform songs that the other three were by law not allowed to perform, but that they had a hand in making what they were. And to hear them perform those songs gave me a lot of uh, heartache and resentment. Not to the two members, because they're doing what they can. It's, you know, still an argument, not a debate. It's still an argument among fans that Yoon-ho could have done more as the leader. Oh no, people give us some way too much credit while not giving them credit at all for what they did. The other group that started me making an actual career, more or less, out of writing about Korean music, being able to see different festivals, interview different artists, who I've come to treasure, make friends in the industry, connect with some truly brilliant people. It's all because of five kids who desperately wanted to get their shot and did it singing a cappella on stage. <laughs> this has gone on far enough. I'm down to talk about them at any time, in any aspect of it. I didn't touch too much on any one part of their history, but just know anything that you have, anything that we are blessed with now when it comes to Korean music, I said it before, I'll say it now in closing. BTS 
took it and ran with it because they recognized where their audience was. You want to know why they were allowed to even have their music circulated in the States? Boa and Bang Bang Shinki. Your favorite foreign Korean music historian exploring all the industry from A to Z. There's sponsored ads and social media hashtags, but this show is truly supported by the efforts of my Megualas, the most amazing fan base a little entertainer could ever have. Special shout out to my Patreon patrons, the student body, the scholars, and the staff who keep my vision of becoming your favorite foreign Korean music historian exploring all the industry from A to Z a real thing. If you're interested in supporting the growth of this content, please visit patreon.com slash multifaceted ACG. And for as little as $1 a month, you can get in on the magic too. Interested in continuing your support at the free 99 price? I'd love you for it. You can still engage with the show and me, your lovely host, when you retweet, repost, and share the show and use hashtag A, the number three, and the word day. Please consider leaving a few stars or a review on Apple Music, iTunes, IMDb, or Podchaser to keep things growing in the right direction. 